Welcome to Maximum Mom with Elise Buey, where you'll hear from women who are navigating the same messy journey as you. Lawyering, entrepreneurship, and mothering, what a trifecta. We're here to share tips, resources, wins, losses, and encouragement for moms who are raising a family while building a law firm. So you feel less alone in your journey toward a fulfilling career and being the best mom you can be. Good morning. This is Elise Bowie, and we are here with the Maximum Mom Podcast. And of course, I'm going to explain why I look like I've been in a bar fight. I have not been in a bar fight, but... I did have a little skin cancer surgery on Friday. So they had to like zap it out, get it out, do some stitches, stitch it up. So I'm here with Theta and thank goodness Theta knows me and she knows I wasn't in a bar fight. So we were just able to get past this. So of course I forgot this was on Zoom initially when we, you know, when I looked and woke up this morning, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to go on Zoom with my black eye and the whole bit. But I figured, you know, this is me today. So here I am Monday. Theta, thank you so much for joining me today. And I'm sorry for the distraction. You just ignore it, though. You just pretend it's not there. Well, you have assured me that it's going to be okay. So absolutely. Okay, good. And thank you so much for joining us. I mean, I want you first, I want you to tell our listeners all about you. Like, where's your practice? What do you do? And then, of course, well, you just tell us that first and then we'll go from there. Okay, so my practice is in Frisco, Texas, and Frisco is a suburb just north of Dallas, and I am the reconstructionist. So I help people who are going through difficult situations reconstruct their lives. So what does that mean in terms of being a lawyer? Well, that means I file bankruptcies for people and help them discharge debts or maybe repay some debts. And I also help people file for divorce and represent them in that capacity. Or maybe it's a modification of their parenting time or a modification of their child support. So that's all involved in reconstructing lives. I was going to say, you really are a reconstructionist then. If you deal with both (laughs) bankruptcy and family law, I mean, those are serious areas of reconstruction. Yeah, I tell people that what I do, it's sad. It can be really sad work. And so it is my privilege to be able to walk alongside people during sad times. And my job is always to make sure that when it's over, I've put a smile on their face. Oh, I love that so much. That makes me really happy to hear. I mean, I feel the same way when I talk to people. A lot of times I work as a guardian ad litem or a parenting evaluator in some really high conflict cases. And I tell the parents, I'm like, it is such a privilege for me to be invited into your family and to really be able to look at it and investigate and analyze and try to help you all work to your strengths. And, you know, really because people are at their very worst often during these difficult times. And I think it's lovely that you want to put a smile on people's faces because I mean, they do have a lot to look forward to once they can get some of that reconstruction done. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, That's awesome. Well, I have to, I mean, it's like a big elephant in the room, at least for me as a good Southern girl. I mean, you people in Texas have been going through some stuff. Like tell me What is going on in Texas? So uh, apparently there are still people without power. 
which we never lost power for the, I mean, we had, we didn't have the rolling blackouts, which we did have 10 years ago when this happened. In fact, it fried a hard drive on my main computer for work that week. So I was all excited that I was getting work done and then fried my hard drive. And that's like putting you back a few months in time. And so uh, this time around, we were, we have surge protectors in our house. So we were prepared in case we had rolling, but we didn't have rolling. We never lost water, but so many people did. I mean, at one point, I think there were 5 million people without power at one point last week. Well, we've been watching the stories from here and, you know, as somebody from Louisiana who prepares for hurricanes and kind of has that mindset of, you know, you see these bad things coming and, you know, you're out shopping, getting all the food. I mean, how has it impacted your communities there? So there's still limited food in the grocery stores right now. A friend of mine ventured out to Kroger on Saturday. And so she texted me and said, if I can find milk, would you like some milk? But there was no milk. Um, oh, wow. But today there was milk in the store. And I feel sorry for moms with babies. I mean, oh, it's just my husband and I, we really, I mean, if you ask the health food people, we probably shouldn't even be drinking milk, even though we have 2%. But, but for people who have kids, my assistant went to Kroger or Target last Tuesday, and she took a picture of the shelves because the whole refrigerated unit where milk is was empty. Wow. Just amazing. Well, I would think the supply chain was really impacted by the weather. Yes, because then the trucks couldn't get through to make deliveries. So that's why on Saturday, even though the sun came out and it was 40 degrees and the snow was melting and the ice was melting, there was still not a lot of just basic supplies. When I placed my grocery order this morning, eggs were not available in the store. Wow. I mean, it has been wild to watch from afar people melting snow in bathtubs to flush their toilets. Yeah. And and there's a lot. I've had a lot of friends who have had flooding in their homes and their offices. Mm. And so there's a lot of cleanup that will need to be done and just a lot of property damage. I cannot imagine the insurance claims that are going to be coming through. Oh, I mean, it, it's like a hurricane. I mean, it's the same kind of thing where all of a sudden businesses stop, damage to places, you try to get contractors out and that's just impossible. So yeah. these places that are damaged are likely going to be waiting for a long time to even get fixed. Yeah. And then they did open up some warming centers last week, but you know, we are still in the middle of a pandemic. So there were probably people who were reluctant to go to a warming center because they didn't know what they would find there and, or what the accommodations would be. And so it's, these are tough times right now. I would say they really, really are. I mean, it's, Well, tell us, I mean, how is that impacting you? And when we talk about you being on this podcast, you know, we talked about dealing with that older generation too, you know, and what that looks like. I mean, how has that been impactful? So I'm not really sure. We did send a message to, I represent a lot of what people would call older, but you know, the older you get, the more old isn't really old, but (laughs) 
But we did send a message out to clients, hoping that they were okay and trying to provide some resources for them, letting them know where the warming centers were and Salvation Army information, Red Cross information. But we haven't heard of any clients who have been significantly impacted as of yet anyway. It could be that they didn't have internet. Right. And so they didn't get the message that we sent. So Right. How much warning did you all get that this was coming? And I mean, and did you understand it to be like we would lose water and power? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. So we knew that we were going to have bad weather. And that's so people started grocery shopping the Friday before. Mm-hmm. And Saturday, I went to the post office Saturday, early Saturday evening, and it was still it was cold, but no snow or anything. And Sunday it started snowing. We got messages from the power company that to expect rolling blackouts and with instructions to unplug everything that was not necessary and to turn your thermostat down to 68. And of course, I'm no expert on the power, but apparently they thought they were going to do rolling blackouts. So when they tried to do rolling blackouts, some of the equipment was frozen. So once they rolled, they couldn't get people back on. So that's why there was a lot of power outages. I've done a lot of reading on electricity in Texas last week because I couldn't figure out what's going on. And now what we're seeing are electric bills because the Public Utility Commission had an emergency meeting and voted to allow the utility providers to essentially pass these costs on to consumers. So people who had no power are now receiving utility bills in the thousands of dollars. Are you kidding me? No. Oh my gosh, that's going to be interesting. I would think that's going to impact your business when Um, people are looking at, I mean, I would think many people aren't preparing for multiple thousand dollar utility bills after having no power. Right. And maybe, and maybe they couldn't work and didn't get paid or something. I, I don't know, but that'll be interesting. It will be interesting. And that's something that I think we will see several, the impact several months down the road. What do you do about this? Absolutely. There is deregulation. And so in most cities where you live, the power company is the power. It's, you know, and I grew up in Michigan. I grew up in Detroit. It was Detroit Edison. That was the power company. Here, there apparently are hundreds of power companies. So you choose. And then I just saw an interview with one woman who got a message on Saturday and she had 13 minutes to select a new uh, electric provider. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. I think that there, that consumer protection lawyers might be busy in the coming months. I just think that it's going to be the wild, wild west. Literally. I was about to say it is the wild, wild west. Yeah. Splash with a little ice. And how did Dallas fare compared to Austin? Was it? So at one point I heard that Austin had about 40% of the population without power. And I I haven't heard in terms of Dallas, it sounded like they had gotten hit first. I was on a zoom Friday afternoon with some lawyers from Lufkin 
Mm-hmm. And the city of Lufkin, the lawyer was joking and said, you know, none of us have bathed in three days because the entire city has no water. Wow. <laughs> Just amazing. Yeah. And someone else who was stuck in his house in Tyler. And that's all that is east of Dallas for people who right. don't really. I've lived in Texas more than 30 years. I'm still not really sure where Lufkin is. <laughs> but- it's a big state, though. It's a big state. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Texas is a vast, vast yeah. place. <laughs> and I, I really haven't explored. I've been to Houston, Austin, San Antonio, Dallas, so and right. Tyler, but I'm not I have not hit Lufkin yet, but I understand it's east of Dallas. OK. Yeah. Well, it's been really interesting to just see the developments and, and see what people are going through. And I've I don't know. I just, I think it brings back like hurricane Katrina to me, you know, when all of a sudden all this stuff just hits the fan and, you know, your regular life just gets so disrupted. And I mean, it's, you know, the same kind of thing and people's businesses aren't prepared. I mean, who's prepared to have their business flood or, you know, like that is a huge, huge problem in and of itself. And you were mentioning even the court possibly suffering some flooding. I mean, that's going to be a huge thing, not to mention just the pandemic, you know, right. To layer that on, on top of a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it was, it was stressful, even though we didn't lose power, it was stressful because you want to check on everybody. And so you're constantly checking on people every few hours. Are you okay? Now we were, mind you, everyone is iced in. So it's, if somebody said, no, I'm not okay, I'm stuck, it's not like you could jump in your car and go get them. Right, right. So it was yeah, pretty scary. It but is pretty scary. I think it's going to be 60 degrees today. Well, then hopefully everything will melt. I mean, that's still there. But I mean, just getting you all food again and getting everybody up and, you know, with everything they need. And I just still can't imagine the getting the serve pro people, plumbers, electricians, all the piping that burst. I mean, I've seen more pictures of people's piping burst. It just seems like it's going to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hopefully a lot of plumbers are going to come back, come down to Texas and help. They're they're definitely needed. I understand plumbers are booking out about a month at this point. So you you may not even be able to get a plumber for a month. Wow. At four hundred fifty dollars an hour. Well, good for the plumbers. I mean, at least they are going to be this will be a boondoggle for their business. I hope (laughs) we got to look at the bright side of this. And I hope they get adequate rest because they're going to be working really hard. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. The Guild is an insanely productive community of lawyer entrepreneurs with a growth mindset who share their collective genius and hold each other accountable to take their careers and businesses to the next level. But in 2021, we are upping the game. In addition to exclusive access to the group, FaceTime with the two of us, discounted pricing for live events, and front seat exposure to live recording and podcasts and video, we are mapping out for members the exact growth playbook with our new program, Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships and experience content specifically designed to complement your plan for growth. For a limited time only, the Maximum Lawyer and Minimum Time program will be offered for free to all new Guild members. Join us by going to maxlawguild.com.
Well, okay. So back to our initial, I mean, tell me a little bit more about when you reached out about being on this podcast, what were you thinking about with regard to, you know, cause this podcast is, we think about it. I think of it as like people who moms, but, and I think of moms as a broader term as caretaker types, you know, those of us that are being caretakers in some way, running law firms, being attorneys. I mean, it's a real trifecta of things. So tell us a little bit about your world in this area. So nine years ago, I, my husband and I took care of my mother and she was on hospice. So for her last three months of life, she lived with us. And so I ran my law practice and was a primary caregiver. Wow. And three months doesn't sound like a very long time, but three months can be very, very intensive. And especially when it's your mother and it's her last days. Well, in hospice care is intense caretaking. Yes. Yes, it is. I learned a lot. And during the process, I kept thinking what I've learned, I need to somehow be able to share with people because there are things that you just don't know. I mean, so I kind of have some tips for people. And my first tip is that you are not superwoman. So you shouldn't try to be. Don't go through all your closets looking for your cape thinking I must have hidden it away somewhere. (laughs) Your cape is not in the dry cleaners. You are not superwoman. And so one thing I've learned is that you really need to ask for help. And as highly, highly functioning, really busy attorneys, sometimes we don't think about asking for help because we are the helpers. We help people. That's our job. But you really do have to ask for help. And um, even when her oncologist told me, her diagnosis and um, she can't live alone. She's got to go somewhere. And it's like, what do you do? I've I've never been in that situation. And I was talking to a friend of mine and she said, oh, I have a friend who went through that. You should talk to her. So I called a complete stranger (laughs) to talk to her. And she, she gave me some just really helpful and practical advice um, about dealing with when someone is on hospice, they basically take over your home. And so if you've never dealt with that, you don't understand what that really means. And um, that literally means 24-7, you potentially have people who may be strangers in your home. They bring lots of equipment. And and so one of the things that she told me is if you can dedicate a room, you need to do that because they they will be bringing in hospital equipment, essentially beds and hospital trays and setting up a room like it's a hospital room. And at one point there was oxygen and everything that goes along with that. So, so she gave me some very practical tips and for about two months, I think it was, I literally slept for the time that I did sleep. I was on the couch so I could be close to where she was and in case she needed something and the medications that you're responsible for and with hospice, they have 24-hour pharmacy delivery, which I did not know. Oh, wow. Because they, the types of drugs that they provide, um, apparently these drugs have a street value. Oh. Think about fentanyl. Right. Prince, and, and he died from a fentanyl overdose. So 
they provide drugs in very small quantities. And because they do that, they deliver 24 hours a day. And wow. at the time we had two dogs, both of them have gone over the rainbow bridge, but can, can you imagine what that does to dogs when you're constantly getting deliveries? And I had a little Maltese and poor thing. She literally ate the fur off of her back leg because she was so nervous and anxious with all the activity in the house. And, um, wow. and especially when you have crisis care. So you have nurses who are coming 24 seven and they have their shifts and it's, um, I just can't even, I mean, I can't imagine it because I've dealt with my parents and my grandparents, not in hospice though, but you know, where they would have strokes and then they would come home and we would have that kind of in-home care. And it is, it's like getting a crash course in all the things that you don't know. I mean, just giving shots to people was, I was like, what I'm supposed to do what? (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, that's a lot. (laughs) It is a lot. And I can't imagine you trying to run your business at the same time that this is going on. I mean, you barely know if you're coming or going. Right. And, and so with like her medications, I, I had an Excel spreadsheet for the medications. And so of course you did. (laughs) Of course I did. And so all the hospice nurses who would come in, they'd say, Oh my goodness, this is so organized. (laughs) Like I'm a type A lawyer type. What can I tell you? <laughs> right. But I just wanted to be sure that I was doing the right thing and giving the right medications. And then. Um, oh, yeah. The timing and the amounts and the different things. I mean, you can yes. get all confused. Yeah. And the fentanyl patches. And you have to be very careful with that, that you don't get fentanyl on you. Exactly. And so. Wow. And, and yes, and running your practice. And so I had to make the decision. And that's one of the benefits of being owning your own business is I had to make the decision that I couldn't do consultations with potential clients because I just couldn't manage that and not really knowing my schedule. In addition to the fact that I didn't feel like I could really be there for people. And I wanted to just focus on my current clients. And so, and that has an impact on your business when you essentially stop seeing potential clients. And and so you may not have anybody in your pipeline for several months. Right. And so then then you have to regroup from there. Um, And so after she died, then it was like, okay, now... I have to get back to work and you really need to do a lot of self-care, which I did not do. I just immediately went back to work. And at the same time I was moving my office. So moving my office and closing down her home. So packing up everything with her home and, and moving out of my office. And I had two weeks to do all of this. Oh my gosh. And so, and then I was moving to a new office and the the build out of that and trying to manage that. So probably about 18 months after that, I got mono. What a surprise. Yeah. What a surprise. Yeah. Cause I really didn't take good care of myself. I just made sure everyone else was taken care of. So you really do. Self-care is important. (laughs) 
Self-care is so important. And I know it's something we talk about a lot with moms. And I mean, it's the same situation being a caretaker where we will put other people's needs ahead of our own time and time and time again. And I don't know how we break away from that. I mean, because I, so many of us do it and it's just this ubiquitous problem and I'm the queen of it. I mean, I stink at this. Like, I'll be like, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, like let's just focus on whoever else needs to be focused on, you know? And I mean, my husband has gotten pretty good now where he's like, now, if this was switched, would you be okay with me doing this? And I'm like, well, of course not. I would never, I was, you know, and he's like, okay, then hush up wife. You know, we're going to take care of you, right. but it's a problem. Yes. And when you are, you kind of think of mono as being like the teenager's disease and, yeah. and it's not, but when you're older and you get mono, it takes a lot longer to oh, come yeah. back. And so it took about two years for me to recover from mono. Wow. I hear, though, that it can be really debilitating when people Mm -hmm. get it older and it can impact your organs, you know, differently. And yes. Yeah. And in fact, I would go to the doctor and she would say, well, you've got this wrong, this wrong. And I finally started making a list in my phone. And so if people would say, well, what's wrong with you? I'd tell them, well, let me pull out the phone and give you the list because I can't keep up. Isn't that, uh, it's just, it's amazing to me when you think about trying to do and how all of a sudden too, like you were going on in your life and then all of a sudden it gets just upended and you know, your home is taken over you. Well, in the focus you have to have to be able to be present for a person as Mm -hmm. they're getting to the end of their life. I mean, those are really just important times. I mean, and it's a blessing in many ways, right? Because to be you were able to spend that time. Mm-hmm. And you have to, you're juggling a lot of balls because you're also dealing, not just the hospice, but um, at one point she got really sick and had to go actually in a hospital. And um, so there was that issue. And then she went to rehab and then came back. And so there, there's just a lot going on all the time that you are very, very focused, intently focused on being a patient advocate. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) That is, I mean, don't you think that by itself could be a course for people on how to be a patient advocate? Right. I find that as a parent in dealing with pediatricians, like you would go with your child to the pediatrician and say like, you know, this child isn't sleeping right. And some of the pediatricians just kind of look at you, like pat you on the back, like, yeah, yeah, little mom, you know, I'm sure your child isn't sleeping well. And there was one of our kids literally who didn't sleep in a 24 hour period. I literally saw every hour on a 24 hour clock for weeks. And so I started logging it. I just, every time I looked at the clock, I would just write down and I was like, do you notice how much I'm awake? And I'm like, this is, because this child is awake. And finally, when I would bring that in, he was like, oh, maybe you are right. He really isn't sleeping at all. And I was like, which part of he is not sleeping at all did not resonate with you? (laughs) No. And I think being a patient advocate is a really important role. It's critical. It really is. And with a 
with a parent who's on Medicare, you have to understand Medicare. You have to understand supplemental and what they have. And my mom was, my mom was very strong-willed and tried to be independent. And so she never wanted me involved unless she needed me involved. It was her choice. <laughs> so <laughs> a lot of things I'm like, I don't know, I've got to figure this out. And so knowing who to call was important too. Right. Now, did you end up getting things like medical power of attorney and stuff, or how did that work for you all? Was she able to keep it? She, I did have that. And I had gotten that maybe a year before or something. And she, that was a struggle, but I did have that. But my, when my mom died, she was 86, which sounds like, oh my goodness, that's old. But her mother died at 104. Her mother had died at 109. And so there was never an expectation that my mother wouldn't also live to be 100. Wow. That's amazing. You have some wild genes. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to be practicing law for a long time. <laughs> for real? <laughs> I love that. That is awesome. Those are some strong female genes you've got in your family. Yeah. My grandmother worked until she was in her eighties. And so. (laughs) Wow. I'm not not sure I'm going to be running a law firm when I'm in my eighties. That's not quite my plan, but maybe doing a little coaching of the younger lawyers or something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, tell us what are some tips you would give to younger lawyers? Like as people are starting their law firm, I mean, we have so many listeners who reach out to me who are literally brand new law firm owners. I mean, you know, they're hanging their shingles, some of them during the pandemic, you know, and I mean, what are some of the things that you would say? Like if you could think of three things that you would recommend for somebody who is hanging a shingle, what are those top three things? So my law firm will be 19 in April. And I did a few other things before I went out on my own. I was in a small law firm, a couple of small law firms. I was in-house at a major corporation in the Dallas area. I also worked on the business side in corporate. And so, which I think gave me some good skills for running a business. But there, there are so many options available for people now that were not 19 years ago when I decided to hang out my shingle, as they say. And so I would say, get really good systems in place from day one. And certainly, especially younger people, they understand a lot more of um, the social media and and virtual. I know you've been virtual for a while, but literally I am a girl who loves paper, loves paper. (laughs) So, you know, when we had the, even though lawyers could have, We had emergency shutdown in Texas, but lawyers were considered essential. So you could keep your office open. But I was concerned about my clients and I didn't want to have people coming in my office and potentially infecting other people. And so I thought I was sort of virtual because my practice management software, it's not software, it's in the cloud. My practice management system is in the cloud. But boy, I mean, if you can be virtual, be virtual. 
I cannot be 100% virtual. I do need to meet with clients. I do need to get what we call wet signatures on documents for the bankruptcy court. And so I do need an office, but I may not need as much office space as I have because I'm I'm meeting clients in the parking lot um, just to make sure that that we're all okay. Because I have had clients who have been in the hospital with COVID. Yeah, I've had clients who've been really sick. And so um, just to be sure we're going to be outside. And except for maybe a week where you have cold, (laughs) we're we're okay being outside here. So just make sure that you've got great practice management system as well as systems. Make sure that you... and. A lot of people understand about SEO, which is critical right now. And, spe- and that's how people find you. And so make sure you can be found. And I am a bar junkie. I am a firm believer in bar associations and being involved with your bar associations because you get to know lawyers who maybe practice in other areas as well as lawyers who practice in your area. So you have an opportunity to meet people and get a mentor or three mentors, maybe even, but you really need a good network of people you can call on and ask questions. When my mom was sick, I mean, there are a lot of things as attorneys we can delegate. One thing you cannot delegate is court appearances. And if you are a solo, you're going to need people who can make appearances for you in court. And maybe even if it's just to say, Miss Page is out because she's taking care of her mom. So make sure that you have that network of people. And a bar association is a great way to do that, is to make those connections and make friends. I mean, you really can make lifelong friends with other attorneys Absolutely. in your area. Yeah, I think that's very important. And I think sometimes people forget about just that basic, you know, let's meet all the other lawyers in your area that you can meet. I think it's critical. Yes. And I mean, it's great to have referral sources, both for for you to refer business to and then possibly to get business from as well. Yes. And yeah, I agree. Theta, I so appreciate you talking to me today. And I mean, I just, I've been worried about all you people in Texas. It has been a wild, wild thing to watch from afar. Rightfully really so. Glad. Yeah. You should be worried about us. <laughs> yeah, well, and I'm glad you've been okay, but I do, I mean, I just, I hope you all continue to be okay. And if there's any organization, like Texas organization that we can give to, if you would shoot me a note about that, we can put that in the show notes because I know a lot of people have been looking for various Texas organizations to donate to, at least around here. I mean, I've seen many posts on social media where people have been looking for Texas organizations. So I would appreciate any information you can give us in that regard. Absolutely. Minnie's Food Pantry in Plano, I mean, they do a fabulous job of feeding people. Um, Cheryl Jackson founded that and she named it after her mom. And it's just, it's a great, great organization. And they were on the ground Saturday passing out food to people. Because even people who they may have had food in their refrigerator, but lost power. So they've lost all their food. Totally. 
Yeah, that was always the hurricane dilemma. It's like, do we open this thing and try to cook as much of it? You know, and we would sometimes if the hurricane hit and we would lose power. One time we lost power on one side of our street and not the other. So all of us had extension cords running across the street. The whole street was lined with extension cords. It was pretty hilarious. But oh, yeah, the loss of the refrigerator in the freezer. I mean, I can't tell you how many hurricanes because, you know, they come in August and September, hot as the Dickens, and everyone had just gone fishing. So you'd have these freezers filled with all this frozen seafood and frozen seafood gone bad at freezer is one of the most horrible, rancid things you've ever seen. After Hurricane Katrina, I mean, I didn't think our house was ever going to get rid of that smell ever. Yeah. It was bad. So yeah, I feel you. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much. And it was great talking to you and you stay well. And I appreciate it. Good to see you. Thanks yeah, for you letting too. me share a few words of wisdom. Absolutely. Thanks, Data. Enjoy the rest of your week. All right. You too. Take care of yourself. I will. We're going to get scar-faced, all proven, get it better. We'll see what it looks like in a while. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Data. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Mom Podcast, a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. See you next time.